Hello, Texans, and good evening. Welcome to the program that gets you inside NRG Stadium. Here in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio, I'm Mark Vandermeer, and it is Texans All Access across the hall from the locker room. Tonight, it's Thursday. John McClain from the Houston Chronicle on the program. General, I know you're about to do some traveling. we got the Combine coming up in a couple of weeks. The offseason about to get very busy. Great to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you? I, I'm doing well, and a lot of talk today about the Astros, of course, and oh, what they yeah. did. And look, this is a football show, but we can look at things through a football lens. And I'm going to start right here. The analogy of what the Astros did would be the same as, let's say, intercepting the signal from the coach's press box down to the field or from the coach to the quarterback and you're able to sort of decipher the play in time to do something about it, whether it's a run or a pass. That's probably all you're going to get, and that's all they were getting. Is it a fastball or anything else? Well, is it a run or a pass would be good information for the defense, and I don't know how that would sit with people. Do you think I'm right in that analogy? Yeah, they, people always say it's a whole lot different when you know it's going to be a breaking ball, even though you don't know what kind of breaking ball. Still, it's a big difference. And, um I uh, listened to their news conference in West Palm Beach. I'll be going over there to watch them like I always do as a fan. And what blew me away, Mark, is they've had all this time to prepare, and they had one of the worst news conferences I've ever seen. They just didn't come off as genuine. And I'm thinking, didn't they hire a crisis PR firm to walk them through everything? The one Bringing out Bregman and Altuve to read statements was awful. No taking questions. I felt bad for Dusty Baker. Jim Crane was so much better here when he fired Jeff Luno mm -hmm. and A.J. Inch than he was there. Now, when they got in the locker room, listening to Carlos Correa and the players talk, they were much more genuine in there than they were here. What the national media wanted them to say is the truth. Number one, Yes, our World Series is always going to be tarnished. When you talk about 2017 champions, they're going to say it's tarnished, and it is. And somebody will say, you know what, I'd like to apologize to the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Dodgers. I don't know exactly to what extent us cheating helped them beat them, but I want to apologize for it and every other team we played that year. I'm sorry. And then if they did that, because in almost everything I listened to on the follow-up, that's what people wanted. Now, so often apologies are not genuine, mm -hmm. but people do them. And we're such a forgiving society. But they're going to get this the rest of the season. They're going to get the questions over and over. They're not going to answer them. And uh, Carlos Beltran, I mean, uh, Carlos Correa shot down the Beltran stuff that he orchestrated and put pressure on the young guys. And uh, I thought that was good. But, you know, Crane laid it all on Luno and the Inch and said more changes are coming in the front office. But the investigation said it was player-driven. So, yes, it was player-driven. But they just totally mishandled it. And going back to when they mishandled the thing with what's-his-name Tobman and the women reporters, yep. and it was reported, and then they put out a release ripping the report, and, of course, they were wrong. They've just done a terrible job. And they'll be, they'll be an example in public relations classes across the country of how you do not handle a crisis. I think baseball should have helped them out, though, 
I maybe think, they did. Maybe they did, and they didn't do a good job because, John, I think the whole thing does beg for punishment of the players, and this is just me saying this. I do think it does. I think that if players participate in this sort of thing, the Nuremberg defense does not cut it for me. They should be punished. However, it does get messy, and I admit that. How many people did it? Who did what? Some guys didn't participate at all, so how do you, how do you punish them? I think that baseball knows, yes, other teams are involved, so how deep do we go? I, the biggest, quote, problem, it's definitely in air quotes for the Astros, was that they did it and they won the championship. Had they not won the championship, maybe this isn't as big a deal. But they're the ones who got the title and did it, so that's a big blemish. The players, of course, weren't punished because they were offered immunity, and if they didn't have immunity, baseball wouldn't have found out 90% of what it found out. Right. And I can't wait. Here's something that's hard for me to believe. If you believe Carlos Beltran was the instigator as a 20-year veteran, he was with the Yankees for three years, yep. but they were clean. Then he came <laughs> here for one year and said, you guys are way behind on how to steal signals, mm -hmm. and he cheated. And then he left and went back to the Yankees for two years, but they were clean. Yep. So five out of six years, Beltran is clean with the Yankees but dirty with the Astros. And if you're whining like a lot of the Yankees are in their media – you better hope like crazy you're not a victim of baseball's investigation. You know, it's taken them forever on the Red Sox. And and so many people have said, and this is true, you got to be stupid to think other teams were not trying to take sure. advantage of electronic sign stealing. It may be investigation go for years, but I'll be glad when they start playing. When I go down to spring training, I told a friend of mine, I would get us some tickets for the the Cardinals, because their stadium's real close. I want to hear how they're treated by Cardinals fans in spring training and see if they're getting views then like they will be in regular season. They are going to hear it on the road all oh season goodness. long. It's going to be very tough for them to deal with. Now, the analogies with the Patriots. Okay, the Patriots did whatever they did, and we can get into that. Uh, and I said this is an Astros conversation, but through a football lens. The fact that the Patriots keep winning, no matter what happens to them, is a great sign for them, right? Hey, it doesn't it doesn't really help us that much. Whatever we did, whatever we are accused of, it doesn't matter because we'll win no matter what. That's their battle cry, and I know that's what the Astros want to try to get accomplished this year. Last year when they were not accused of cheating by Rob Manfred and his investigators, you know, they went to the seventh game of the World Series and lost four games at home. And one of the things that bothers me about anonymous quotes, when you know a media outlet is interviewing you, and they and you know your name's not going to be disclosed. You can say anything you want. If you got right. some axe to grind with a team you got cut by, or they cut your pay or wouldn't pay you what you want, you can say anything. And today, anything that comes out, everybody takes it at face value. As a reporter for now 48 years, I know I've seen that. So I'm careful about any, not just Astros, but anything I see that's anonymous. I think people who are anonymous are gutless, and that's why you don't see me do, using anonymous quotes. And um, But it's not going to end. I don't know. It'll never end unless they, if they win another one. Win another one, then you won't be tarnished as cheaters like the Patriots. You know, I never put any in deflate gate, so what? But in spy gate. Mm -hmm. You know, they got they got fined a lot. They lost draft choices, but yet they kept winning, and now it's just kind of forgotten. John, why offer the players immunity if – I know you get to the bottom of it, but how does that really help you? 
I mean, why can't you just come out and say, listen, anybody caught doing this, knock it off, guys. Can well, they be did a- that before, and the, and the Astros kept doing it. Yeah, uh, You know, remember they came out two times. Rob Manfred, the last yeah. time, he said, okay, if anybody does this, he yeah. got the Yankees and the Red Sox. You got me. And and he said, if you keep doing it, you're going to get punished more severely, like the NFL told the Patriots. Look, after Spygate, if you get in trouble again, we're going to come down even more severely on you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people thought the penalties for – Deflate gate were severe, and they were, but it was Very. because they were a two-time offender, not a first-time offender. And people hated the Astros anyway, and the reason was they didn't like Jeff Luno. They didn't like the way he got rid of scouts. They didn't like the way the Astros did business, analytics, analytics, analytics. And, in fact, they won. And they rebuilt in a certain way, and people were envious of it. And now they think if you were to ask a fan of another team, they'd say, oh, they've been cheating all those years. That's how they went from 100 losses to 100 victories. And now, though, they have to do it again. And they're still probably third-best team in baseball behind the Yankees and Dodgers. Yeah, on paper, and they got a ton of talent, and they should do pretty well. I, I find the Deflategate thing, in you know retrospect, really interesting because I, I – Look, I hate the Patriots. Yes, I was all you about yeah, that. Suspend Tom Brady for the year. But I thought it was a ridiculous punishment, the the severity of it. You miss 25% of the regular season if you're Tom Brady. I mean, these players aren't missing 25% of the regular season. And that was deflating a football a little bit or being a part of the mix, the operation it, to get it, it done. And it because they told him after the first one, get caught again, you're going to be punished yeah. more severely. So I, I, just, I agree it was harsh, mm-hmm. but it wasn't because – they did something so egregious it gave them an unfair advantage because they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar a second time. What's worse, this or the steroid-era scandal? Um, the steroid-era scandal was across baseball. and it This helped. might be, too. It helped. It could be. We're going to find out. But I would like to know something, and we'll never know, how many players did it? How many benefited from it? Because even if you know a ball is going to be a breaking ball, you might miss it. Oh, you, you definitely might miss it, and but you, you know, know it's, it's a fast, not a fastball. No, but you know it's a fastball, and you might miss it. And right. Some guys just like steroids. They took steroids, and they worked hard, and they made it work better than others. Mm-hmm. And uh, Or human growth hormone. XFL coach June Jones told me a long time ago when he was a backup quarterback with the Falcons like the mid-'70s, Team doctor said something like, oh, okay, we want you to take this. It's steroids because it was rampant across the yeah. NFL because it wasn't illegal. It's going to make you stronger and faster and better. So June did it. Nothing happened. He went to the doctor. He said, it's not working. He said, well, are you working out? Huh? Yeah. I thought this was just going to help me. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, so he said he didn't want to have to put in all the work, so he didn't do it. Oh, my gosh. A lot of guys did it. I know a lot of guys who did it way back in the day, like the 70s and early 80s and everything. It wasn't against the rules. And guys back then were looking for advantages just like they look for advantages today. And there will be other things come up. But I'll tell you this. When those guys, when Bonds and McGuire and Sosa were hitting those home runs, I watched them. Yeah. I thought they were fun to watch. And now it's, of course, the baseballs are the ones that have been juiced, not the players. Yeah. Well, I and think I love watching them today. My gut feeling is I mind the juicing part of things less than I do this. This really bothers me. This, you know, using this kind of technology, what, banging a garbage can? I know, I know. That's kind of primitive. And by the way, I haven't, kind read, of. I, I haven't read everything on this. But I'm sure people have gone back through the 2015 and 2016 Yankees to find out, you know, if they can hear anything banging in the clubhouse 
uh, to signal the batters as to what's coming for them. I don't know how they tipped off their batters that they knew what was coming, if they had monitors, whatever, Beltron, whatever he was using with those guys. But I'm sure people have combed through all that stuff. Well, of course, the Yankees didn't do anything. Beltron never did anything until he got to the Astros mm-hmm. for one season. And something else is going to—it's trickling down all the way to the minors. Somebody said there's a Astros opponent that's going to have trash can lid giveaways and <laughs> let the fans bang on it. That's something that's going to trickle all the way down to their rookie league teams. Well, I think it would be a great minor league promotion. Like, in fact, if you're the Skeeters or a team of that level that has no affiliation with a major league club, you can say, "All right, everybody, here's a fastball, bang once or whatever." <laughs> <laughs> or nothing, or twice. The, or I don't think the Skeeters can do that. I don't think they can do it either. All right, General, we have a few other things to discuss here, and let's start. I promise this. It's the topic that's sort of not sweeping everybody this week, but it's come up in the last couple of weeks. XFL rules that you would like to see adopted in the National Football League. Give me one, if any. I wrote a column last week with June Jones and Randy Mueller, their personnel director, who was GM two times in the NFL, and and June was talking about these rules changes. The league has somebody on the sideline if they have a question. Right. And he pointed out that the extra point of no kicks and going for one, two, or three points from the two, five, or ten is something that's requiring a lot of decision. Yeah. And where before you kicked, if you're not going for two, you kicked the extra point and you're thinking about the next series. Yep. And what I liked best was the replay official uh, talking to the referee and we could hear everything. I didn't like the fact that the player coming off the field after missing a field goal, you grab him, what happened? Um, and I, the kickoff rule, while it looked so weird, yep. I thought it was good because it, you don't have as many collisions. And That might have the best shot of quick adoptability. It might I, take another year. I don't think the NFL is going to take anything from the XFL. No. I'll give you one. And so the thing I'd love to hear, the replay of was is uh, Alberto Riveron mm-hmm. and his people in New York talking replays on TV. I don't think that you should hear play calls. That's a little over the top. I'm sure Bill O'Brien would love that for people to hear him tell us <laughs> Sean Watson and what Bill says if it doesn't work. Yep. What Jim Zorn said, man, you got to be so careful what you say. And uh, But some of them, I understand them doing it. They're looking – to create interest, and they've done a tremendous job. I did a column for tomorrow, Friday, about how P.J. Walker, their quarterback, got here because of Andrew Luck. Andrew knew him from two years on the practice squad. He kept telling his dad, you've got to get this guy. The league has signed quarterbacks. And so Andrew, I mean, Oliver said he told the attorney at the USFL, give me that Indianapolis quarterback, and he got P.J. Walker instead of Andrew Luck. That's fine. And Walker Temple played for Max Rule, and I'm wondering would Rule sign him, bring him to Carolina's training camp? After watching him go through this developmental process. All right, the general stays with us. My rule I'd like to see adopted, and radical idea with Monday Night Football. Is it going to work? Plus John Harris in the last segment here on Texans Radio. John McClain is with us tonight. Texans All Access continues. Mark Vandermeer keeping you company. And let's get to it. I promise the uh, rule that I would want adopted, and I've mentioned this before, but, John, I love that overtime rule, and I want to see that happen in the NFL in a big, big way. Either that or go back to sudden death the way it's meant to be. Now, I'm going to give you my reason. I've given this on the air before. I don't know if you've heard it, but I'm going to win you over right now. Prepare to be won over. 
with my old way of doing things. Either sudden death the way we originally did it or go to this XFL thing, which is five shots from the five-yard line. You must incentivize the coaches to win the game in regulation. If overtime in the NFL is going to be, look, the other team gets another possession no matter what, whether it's a touchdown or a field goal, which is what everybody's sort of pushing for right now after what happened in the AFC Championship game following the 2018 season. If we're going to go there, then the end of regulation is basically like the end of the half at that point. You know, I mean, you do have some incentive because you'd like to not you get to overtime. You don't want to go overtime. You, know, you don't want to go, but it's it's not a, it should be this, oh my gosh, I don't want to go there. It should be this netherworld overtime. No, we want to avoid that at all costs. Let's go all out to win the game in 60 minutes. That's what you want to see. And you're not going toward that if you allow the team, the uh, whoever doesn't win the kickoff, to have an extra possession no matter what. No, you have not convinced me. Other than the fact oh. that you've convinced me, you've lost your mind. Uh, <laughs> I think I don't care what they do in regular season. Go to sudden death, or make sure both teams get at least one possession, unless you score a touchdown. But in the playoffs, to me, when everything is so important, you mentioned the Patriots and the Chiefs in 2018. I think in the playoffs and and the Super Bowl, of course, both teams deserve at least one possession. In overtime, that would be very fair. Well, what about the five-yard line thing that the XFL has? I kind of like that. It takes five. It's almost like a soccer shootout, yes. a hockey shootout. Yes. No, I don't like it. It's one shot from the five, and then they get one, and we get one, and they get one, and you keep going until somebody has an insurmountable lead because you're getting two points for each shot. I love it. I think it's a great way to go. I can see your kids loving it, but not you. <laughs> I have an open mind about these things. Okay, Monday Night Football. There's some talk about the possibility, and I don't know if this is going to catch on at all, of flexing Monday night, being able to flex games on Monday night football, I would assume, later in the season. Your thoughts on that, because I have many. Say the Texans are playing at the Chargers, and about mm. three or 4,000 fans are going, and they're supposed to play on Monday night. Yeah. And then New England is closing at Las Vegas, and both teams are playing for home field advantage mm-hmm. in the AFC. That would be the game to flex. And unless you had two games on Monday night, that would be grossly unfair to fans because they would have their plane reservations and their hotel. Yeah. And maybe a convention's coming in the next day, and you can't keep your hotel an extra night. And then all the airlines charge you for change fees. Financially, it does not make sense for the fans. But if you want to put a second Monday night game on there, like the Patriots and the mm-hmm. and the uh, Raiders for home field advantage in AFC, do it. But keep the Texans and the Chargers as well. It'd be like a Sunday game. One gets televised to a bigger audience than the other. Two games on Monday night. That's the only way you could do that. It would not be right flexing it. You can flex day to night mm-hmm. like they do in colleges and all that, but Man, that just wouldn't be fair to the fans. It'd be financially unfeasible, and you would you would be telling fans don't go on the road for that game. It's hard for the teams too, John, because what you have here is having to book hotels for two nights, back to back nights, and and that, you would have to pay too. You'd have to at least do a sizable deposit that because you would if lose you, if you if you didn't pay, and you don't go to overtime, then they can't book those rooms. So right. you're asking a hotel to keep a uh, hundred and however many rooms they and want all the banquet space empty. That's right. They that's... can't book a convention that starts Sunday night because most teams, by the way, folks, 
can't you can't you can't book anything until the schedule comes out in mid-April, right? And if the NFL wants to subsidize a team for a second night or a hotel, they can do it because mm-hmm. ESPN would eat this up. Look, I mean, they pay more than a billion as it is. No telling what they would pay for a flex game that would get rid of some of these dogs. But uh, it, the fans are the ones watching it would be great watching on TV. But not if you made plans. Like, that mean people are going to go. When that schedule comes out from right. Vegas, mm-hmm. like when the Texans not playing in Vegas this year, maybe next year, all the fans are going to want to go to Vegas. Everybody. And then if it was moved to Monday night, they're, they're in trouble. Do you think Vegas is going to be one of the best stories of the year as far as success stories? Because uh, what I'm hearing is all the casinos are buying up the suites, right? Because they need the suites. They need to entertain people, hand out suite tickets, whether people use them or not. But they're going to sell a lot of tickets in Las Vegas. And with the traveling availability better than ever, a ticket availability, you know, you can get tickets in other people's buildings easier than ever through the secondary market and all these different sites. And you have to pay, but you can get them. With Vegas, it's going to be insane. Your team goes to Vegas. How do you how do you not go to Vegas? And the Raiders fans themselves are from all over the country, and of course, most of them in California. They have an easy shot to Vegas, and many of them will drive they to have see an their easy team. Easy drive from Oakland, and they still got a lot of fans in Los Angeles. You know what they should have done is let the Raiders move to LA and put the Chargers in Las Vegas. Ooh. But the Rams didn't want the Raiders because they knew they had too big of a fan base there from when they played there. So, yeah, it's cheaper to fly to Vegas than most places because they know you're going to spend money. And so I think I think that's going to be the destination for most fans. And uh, and I think they'll be able to get tickets, and if the Raiders are good, that'll make it even more exciting. I mean, that, I think that's a great story developing, the Oakland Raiders in Vegas. The Las Vegas Ra- – I can't say Las Vegas Raiders. Sounds it's just going to be weird. the Raiders. The Raiders. It's just going to be the Raiders. And the way they're going to shut down Las Vegas Boulevard, which is packed bumper-to-bumper every night, mm-hmm. and going to be the Bellagio's, going to put them in their pool and their pond and take them on a boat mm-hmm. to the front door. You know it's going to be lavish. They're going to have everything but riding in on elephants. <laughs> All right, so the NFL is having a uh, fan engagement summit in May. And I go to these things because they have a social digital media component there and they have some ticketing and other things, marketing. And you going to and, Vegas? Well, it's actually in LA. And a few of us are going to go because, I mean, this thing happened. It's a behind the, st- the scenes kind of thing. I rarely talk about this, but we're going to be allowed to tour the LA stadium. And that's going to be cool. That's I doubt be it'll be great. completely done at that point, but it's going to be cool to see what they have. And I'm particularly interested to see what they have as broadcast facilities in the stadium. Well, you'd think it's a lot better than some of those you got to broadcast from. It's certainly not in the stadium. Well, not just the booth, but what they do for internal television, like the room we're in right now with the Hyundai Texans radio studio, we doubled this up for TV and that. I mean, they probably have quite a setup there. It's supposed there. to be <laughs> state-of-the-art. Yeah. It's supposed to be unprecedented in every area. It's going to end up costing $5 billion. It should. Yeah, and you, for your purposes, you should be able to open the window in case the roof's open, so you can soak up that LA air. Yeah, soak up the LA smog air. Yeah, could be. Maybe they'll have a smog remover inside for the fans. All I know is a lot of fans that can't get tickets to the Rams will go once to see the Chargers, just to be able to see the stadium, and they won't go back. John, what's the next big Texan story, you think? When Bill O'Brien speaks at the Combine, it's going to be in less than two weeks now. A week from Tuesday, he'll speak. Well, how do you know he's not going to speak before that? He could. He, he could. told us in that last news conference when they got their moves made, of mm-hmm. which they haven't 
announced any. They haven't announced them. I think they want to have every T crossed and I dotted before they announce. They announce everything as a group, and that's pretty much been an organizational thing since the beginning of time. And I'd like to see something that they're doing that isn't out already. Mm-hmm. But if that's if Bill wants to wait till then, what's going to be interesting is usually by the time you get to the combine, most coaches have already talked about their team. It's all about the draft and free agency. Right. But in this case. I'll be asking a whole lot of questions about things that have happened in the off season mm-hmm. before others are asking about the bill about the draft and the and free agency and so that's why I was hoping to knock all that out here and uh but it'll be interesting. I'm writing a column Sunday about the twenty sixth pick because i I'd, I'd argue the the i guess it's Landry locker. I still think the tonsil trade and stills was a good one. We'll never know for sure three or four years, see what the Dolphins do right. with a pick. But I say, who Julian Davenport would have been playing left tackle or somebody else, would they have been as good, would they have made the second round of the playoffs with Julian Davenport left tackle? I'm kind of thinking no. No, they wouldn't have had stills either, and how does that affect them? And then uh, I'm going to look at all the 26th picks, see mm-hmm. what what has been done since the Texans have been in the league. It's a really good draft for tackles, but right now at this early part of the process, there's not one that stands out. So there's how are you at 26 going to get somebody as good as Tunsil? Pro Football Focus said Tunsil was rated higher coming out of Ole Miss than any tackle they've ever had. And so what would you have to trade to move up to get this left tackle you want who would be untested? You might don't know what another you one anyway, so that's two ones. Boom, done. So I still think that worked out well. Now they can focus on defense and this next draft and free agency. But I'm going to look at the Tunsil trade and who could be available for 26 for the Dolphins who still need an offensive tackle. What do you have going on in the Chronicle? I've got a column on P.J. Walker. Now he came to the Roughnecks. I've got Sunday column on the Texans and Laramie Tunsil. So thank you very much. And I will see you next Thursday. Thank you, John. Always a pleasure to have the general on. John Harris coming up as we'll evaluate a position group, the offensive line. It's Texans Radio. Keeping it going here. Mark Vandermeer, Texans All Access. John Harris steps into the Hyundai Texans Radio studio now across the hall from the locker room with I see more and more players, Johnny, more and more players working out, coming in, doing things. And I think guys took an immediate sort of vacation. Not everybody, but some just took a little time off, took a little breather. And even though that conditioning date, the nine-week off-season program doesn't start till Mm mid-April, hey, no time like the present to get started. It's not like these guys can afford to sit around and eat ice cream on their couch and just, you know, watch NBA and the XFL. I mean, they have to work out on a regular basis, and I'm not saying they're doing everything now that they will be doing in a few weeks, but they got to be doing some stuff. I think they had to get away. After a season, you you have to get away for just – and I'm not saying that you've got to go out of the country or you got to travel to some vacation loca- uh, location, whatever, but you just have got to zone out for maybe a few days, two, three days, you know, go on an eating binge – uh, you know, eat all the great food in Houston. Drive to, I don't know, drive Louisiana. Eat Drago's oysters for three days. I don't know. Do something. Boy, you're getting me hungry now. I, I know. But just get away from it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, without question, get away from it. Set a date that you will kind of restart. Right. And then get back on it. And I, I have. I, I'm with you. I've seen more guys. Uh, you just had lunch uh, earlier today. And I saw, I saw two, three players in there. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't guys that were that were injured that are rehabbing, at least not that I know of. Right. There are guys that 
played all the way through the end, you know, all the way through against Kansas City and didn't. Now, they might have been. They might have had surgery and they might be rehabbing, but I didn't think so. I think so, they want to come in. Don't you think they want to come in after a while? I, like, I would think so. You, just to check in. I would think so. Come back to the office, <laughs> their office yeah. of sorts. And when you don't have anything structured going on and you kind of do it Bingo. Your, your pace, your rate, then you're like, okay. And it's just you got everything up here that you need. I've lived like that, by the way. Like my first year as voice of the Hurricanes, uh-huh. I went from do, being a manager and, and doing all the games and everything mm-hmm. and working, I mean, 70 hours a week yeah. very often to all I'm doing is the football game mm-hmm. and Hurricane Hotline, and that's it. And they were paying me, yeah. you know, nice money to do that. Yeah. So I'd go into the station like, hey, guys, you need anything done? <laughs> you know, you need some help? Yeah. And so eventually I started filling in on the morning show, and they, they were like, hey, you can do talk shows. And they didn't even know that really yeah. about me. And maybe I didn't either. But um, so I get it. Wanted to come in and sort yeah. of create your own structure. Hey, before we go anywhere else, and I, t- I talked about this with John, but the Astros news is huge today. Yeah. And, and we are looking at it through a football lens uh, and the different kinds of things that you could carry over from the NFL. Um, the NFL analogy to this would be, and I brought it up, I think it's stealing signals from the booth to the headset. Right. right that's the equivalent here. And what would that be like? Now, you wouldn't, assuming you could translate, maybe not exactly who you're throwing the right. ball to, but a run versus a pass is very good Left information. or right. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, those, those kind of things, um, you know, a trick play, any of those yeah. kind of things that you were able to decipher by intercepting those signals. And, and, and obviously, the one thing that we think about is Deflategate, mm-hmm. or not Deflategate, um, Spygate yeah. uh, with the New England Patriots, where they were filming signals. Now, they still had to spend the time to try and decipher those signals, but they were filming those signals and then taking them back to their building and doing whatever they needed to. And I and the thing was, I didn't really have a horrible problem with it. I didn't either. Too much if you're doing it during a game. Like, if you have somebody up in your box, like a dedicated coach, and that coach is, like, looking at them and trying to decipher signals, and you're trying to do it within the, the wherewithal of the game, then I think it's fine. When you start introducing technology to help you, I think that's where it gets to be, uh, okay. And that's what the Astros did. That's what the Patriots did. As soon as you use technology to aid in what you're doing, and by using technology, I mean maybe abusing it in some sense, abusing the use of the technology, then you should get popped for it. And the Astros did, and so they've lost their manager, lost their GM, and they still got their title, and they – apologized in most cases and now you just gotta you gotta move on the backlash is huge yeah the backlash is and they'll be dealing with that for a long long time i mean people could say you they should have been punished more and we can debate that all day there's so many different aspects of this and one of them is the old well everybody's doing it in the clubhouse and i was part of the mix and then there's the old other teams are doing it as well right and why don't we have, try and do it better? We have good knowledge on that. So you feel a certain acceptability to the whole thing. Yep. And, and I, I get it all. And look, it's going to be talked about for a long time. And it's a juicy story. It's a horrible story, really, as a Houston sports fan. Um, but around the country, they are getting no sympathy at all. And it's going to be tough for them on the road this year with the opposing fan reaction. Because I think the Astros, as hot a ticket as they might be wherever they go, yeah. it's even hotter now. Yeah. I want to see those guys. And I'm going to give them a piece of my mind right. when I see them. And they're going to get a bunch of that. So buckle up, get ready. They're still a super talented team and should do well. 
But it's going to be interesting to see how they emotionally handle this. That's a big part of this. It's a big part of this. And I thought about this as I was driving. My, my message, if I were Dusty Baker, to my team would be, you do not apologize for winning. You do not apologize for just destroying some guy out on the mound today. You do not right. apologize for that at all, yep. whatsoever. And you also do not use what happened in the past as an excuse for you doing poorly this year. Mm-hmm. You don't apologize for wins, and you don't you don't sit there and make excuses, oh, we're doing poorly this year because of all the backlash we're getting. No, you invited that backlash. So if I were Dusty Baker, I'd tell, the, I'd tell them those two things and say, let's go out and play ball like we always have, and we'll be fine. And they, and they eventually will. Now, there's going to be a referendum on – what they are as a team. Oh, in April, if they get off to a slow start, well, okay, this was expected. Or if they get off to a hot start, well, you know, they, they may not be able to keep this up or, or whatever the case might be. There's going to be different narratives that are constructed over the course of the season for the Astros. They're going to have to just weather that storm. But if I were Dusty, I would just I would tell them, you get an eight-game winning streak, you don't apologize to anybody. Oh, yeah, you know, we're kind of – no, you don't apologize for winning. You don't look at you don't look at a four That's three the cleansing win. thing for them. Yeah, you go out there, you kick somebody's tail. That's what helped the Patriots. Okay, yeah. they got caught doing whatever they did, Spygate, mm-hmm. and then we could talk about the Flake Gate, but whatever it is, whatever it was, yeah. they kept winning anyway. Right, and it sort of it didn't erase everything, but it really helped soothe those wounds. Okay, yeah. you know, a little bactine in there. All right, let's do this now. Position group evaluation. The other day we did inside linebackers for the most part. We did some outside linebackers. Yep. But let's just dial in directly to the offensive line right now. Ooh, okay. As far as the kind of season they had and what the projections are going forward, we don't know for sure. But, right. look, you know Laramie's going to be part of this football team. You know Nick Martin's going to be part of this football team. Yeah. You know Titus Howard, Max Sharping, they're going to be part of this football team. Zach Fulton, another guy that there's going to be a lot of focus on this offseason. And, and how will they improve? How will they change? How will they change the depth? Greg Mance, I saw him around the building. Great to see Greg. He's a very useful cog in that machine, either as a backup, spot starter, however you use him. So they have a lot of things going for him. But let's start with Laramie. Yeah, Laramie to me is I, I thought in 2016, I thought it when he was coming out of high school, I thought I was looking at a bona fide star left tackle. And he has been that and then some. And I know there's been there was so much talk during the season about the false starts and all that, and and he had some with Miami. It felt like you know for for some people, it, oh, it got worse here in Houston. I don't know about that, but you know you're you're learning a different cadence, you're learning a different offense. I think there are a lot of factors that went into it, and I feel like a second year understanding Deshaun's cadence, how things are done, just what to be listening for. I think that's going to make Laramie that much better going forward. But as far as on the field, you protect number four. Laramie Tunsil does that and then some. To me, you, look, David Bakhtiari, great player. I don't think he had a great 2019. You know, Trent Williams didn't play in 2019. Uh, Jason Peters is 37 years old now. Andrew Whitworth is definitely up in years. When you start thinking about the best tackles mm-hmm. in the game, I don't know how far you get before you say Laramie Tunsil. In fact, right. for me, I'll take Laramie Tunsil over anybody. There might be guys as you know, like as good. Nobody's better. 
Nobody's better to me at left so tackle than Larry Tunsil. He's definitely on that line, Absolutely. that top-tier line without question. of left tackle. Without, and, without question. And I I'm not even is. talking about contract, anything. No, you no, have no. him in your building, and yep. he's the guy. And clearly, you know, making that acquisition has meant a great deal. And I, I've always pointed this out. They were clearly better on the offensive line. Yes. Okay? They gave up fewer sacks. They right. ran the ball well. They had Carlos Hyde with a 1,000-yard season. He had never done that. Right. I mean, you had a lot of things going for you. With that old line, I know there were some penalties, false starts, things like that. Things that look, maybe it it's going to take an off season to clean some of that stuff up yeah. with Laramie and whatever whoever else is doing it. But by and large, I mean, you look at it at the end of the day, you won ten games, could have won eleven if you you know played your guys in that yeah. final game, and you know there you were, you were not an offense that was top three in the league. But you're a good offense. You know, you're putting up points, you're putting up yards, and uh, you're winning football games, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, Laramie, to me, it, I think some of this comes with continuity. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about the the changes that the offensive line has sort of gone through mm-hmm. since 2012, and for, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, that offensive line stayed the same. And still relatively, relatively the same. It wasn't the exact same, but it stayed the same for a while. And then they, there were some changes involved, and then some guys came in and came out, and and we got to a point where it was like, whoa, all right, what are we going to do? Well, this, this line can have some continuity. It's not going to be all 100%, you know, through. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it is. But I think having continuity, you know you're going to have continuity at tackle position with Titus and with Laramie. Right. And you know Nick Martin, after signing the, the extension uh, during the season last year, you know he's going to be here. And Max Sharping's here for the long haul. Now, you mentioned – Zach, and I would like to see Zach stay. Zach is, he's a guy that I think is unheralded for what he's done for this offensive line. And he's got some heavy hands and he hits with some power. So they're able to run the ball with Zach very, very well. Uh, But at a minimum, at a minimum, you're going to bring back 80% of your offensive line one year over the next. And people are like, well, you still gave up, I don't know, 40, 40 something sacks. Well, first of all, it's a whole lot better than 62. And of those 40, you gave up, I think, 10 or so in the first couple of games of the year as you're still trying to kind of get, yep. your, get your sea legs under you. There were games where two or three games, I think, where they gave up no sacks. So they've there's been this huge jump from where it was in 2018 to 2019, and I think with continuity and health, get another it jump. takes another jump to 2020 mm-hmm. where you give up Another, you cut those sacks again. Now you're in. The, now you're giving up. You know, twenty to twenty-two sacks. Right. And again, as I said, when you had sixty-two sacks, what if you just cut those in half and you've got thirty-one more pass attempts that you can do something with? How many more touchdowns is that? How many more completions is that? Well, if you take forty and you cut that down to twenty, now you've got another twenty completions that you can, uh, or another twenty attempts that you can make, and maybe a couple more throwaways. Maybe 18 of them there are throws. You complete at what? Deshaun completes at 60 to 65%. So you're talking about 11, 12 completions. You're talking about close to a completion a game more when you just continue to cut those sacks. And then you run the ball as you did last year. And Drew and I talked about this the other day. He asked if there was going to be a 1,000-yard rusher. And I said no, but I did say that I feel like there will be more rushing yards available. They just might spread it over. Oh, so he asked if there's a 1,000-yard rusher next year. Next year. And 
not knowing whether Carlos is coming back or not. And I said, even if he does, I said, he might not run for 1,000, but overall. They spread out the carries. They spread out the carries. And Watson's Did, still going to be a part of the running game absolutely, no matter what. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's just the NFL we live in right now. And no I, doubt. I think it's a great thing. Uh, Howard, by the way, went out Colts game Thursday night. Yep, that was the last the one. The prime timer. So he didn't play against the Patriots. You won that game. Right. Now, the Denver Broncos game. Yeah. All right, the next two on the road, you won those. The last game, they rested guys and obviously not around for the playoffs. And I think that not having him around, I'm not going to say that that's the reason why they suffered the loss against the Broncos or what happened against yeah. the Chiefs. But, man, to have him around. And, look, they got to get deeper. They know they need depth because you are going to lose guys sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but that's going to be big to see him in his, quote, sophomore NFL season, what he can do, yeah. what Sharping can do with that year one to year two jump. And you mentioned the jump with this line into year two with most of the guys back, that's going to be big for this unit. Well, think about how we went into training camp. Mm-hmm. Went into training camp. Here, were the start, here was the starting five as you went into training camp. It was left tackle Matt Khalil. It was left guard Titus Howard. It was center Nick Martin. I think Zach was at right, right guard. guard. Mm-hmm. And then right tackle was a mishmash of guys. I don't remember. Who. I mean, what was Sharping doing in camp? He was backing up at one of the guard spots. Okay. And then bouncing the tackle and doing some of and those things. And then they would elevate him to the ones for right. a while. And they, look, camp, it doesn't mean like this is our depth chart. No, no, I know. See it. They're just, mixing up guys, and I know you know this. I'm saying this for the listeners because Watson was once on the third team. So <laughs> there's that. But what uh, my, my point in that is that's how you started. But you were bouncing Titus from – one position, he was at guard, and then he moved over to the other guard. Then he would go to tackle there in practice. Well, now you know, okay, we don't really have to cross-train guys. You're not going to cross-train Laramie. Laramie's your left tackle. You leave right. Laramie at left tackle, and away you go. You know Max is your left guard. You don't have to train him out of tackle if you don't want to. Now, there might be some time where you want to move him out there just to keep him sharp just in case, but you keep him at left guard. You don't mess with him. Mm-hmm. Nick is your center. You don't move him anywhere. Uh, you know, Zach at guard has – he should get some reps at center. He should keep that sharp for him. Titus at right tackle. You don't have to bounce Titus from right tackle to guard back to left tackle. You can just go right tackle, left tackle in, in as I'm you know, getting ready for the season. Right. But the majority of his reps are going to come on the right side. So you don't have to cross-train these guys as much because you know now what you're going to do with them. So they get additional reps at that position. They get additional continuity throughout offseason and in the training camp as they go into the season. Because you think about the season, Laramie shows up on week one. Titus doesn't play week one because he's dealing with the, the hand issue. So oh, yeah. you had Chantrell Henderson at right tackle. That's what it was. Chantrell Henderson was at right tackle. That changed to week two yep. when Titus gets in the lineup next to Laramie. And then week three, you, you put together the line you think you're going to have going forward, and that's Laramie and Sharping, Martin, Fulton, gosh, and Titus. I, I right hate tackle. injuries. Oh, my gosh. Messing with that continuity. But you're yeah. right. You, you have a better so projection valuable. going in. because, And you mentioned it. If you didn't have Laramie, and here you are going into a draft, and you need a tackle, or maybe you're playing Howard at tackle, and he's okay, but maybe you're thinking, eh, we really need a world beater there, and yeah. maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But Because uh, I know when we – saw him get drafted we thought well that's your tackle right right he's going to be a tackle right is he the future yes but now he's a guard and laramie is a tackle on the left side and it's a beautiful thing all right johnny thanks a lot you got it, mark thank you all right that's going to do it for the program tonight we covered a lot of ground as my buddy rich lord used to say and john mcclain 
Great to have him on earlier. This is going to be podcast wherever you get fine podcasts, wherever fine podcasts are available. We'll be back tomorrow night. Johnny's going to host, and we're going to dive deep in a whole bunch of things. So looking forward to that. Thanks for listening. Go Texans.